Hey, I want to talk to you. We're, we're, we're going through Psalm 103, but before we get there, if you would, if there's a Bible in front of you, uh, take that Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to get over to Psalm in just a little bit, to the 103rd Psalm, but I want to talk to you today about something that I think is very important for all of us. And I know that sometimes I preach, sometimes I teach, and sometimes I treach. Um, I think this would be a little more practical today. Uh, I don't know yet, but I am excited about the topic. I want to speak to you about how to live in troubled times. How do you live in challenging times? How do you live? How, what should we do Why, when, when culture itself rises against your basic values how should we embrace it should we fight should we regress should we acquiesce what and how should we live in difficult times Paul was talking to Timothy and uh, Timothy his protege his his uh, younger self as you would his his son in the Lord and he was talking to him about how to help establish churches. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he gives this warning to Timothy. And he, and he says something amazing. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Mark this. Don't you love that? Mark this. Now, when I, when I was a teacher years ago, when dinosaurs roamed the land... Uh, I would have, if there was something that was going to be important, something was on a test, I would say, mark this. Take note of it. Make sure that you have this. Because I, it was going to be on the test. And, and Timothy is being told by Paul, I want you to mark this down. This is not just something off the top of my head, Timothy, but this is something that you need to be aware of. He said, there will be terrible times in the last days. That's always good news, isn't it? He said, Timothy, it's going to get bad the closer the Lord comes back. And he looks at it and he says, people, and he starts describing this. And, and I really like all of these descriptors uh, that, that he is trying to help us identify with the last days. He says, people will be lovers of themselves. Isn't that interesting? How many of us, I got up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, man, I don't really like you. I don't think any of us did that. I think we probably looked in the mirror and said, hey, baby, uh, that's not the kind of love that, that, that Paul is referring to. He's referencing a, a, a complete devotion to everything that you want to do, and you think that you are more important than anybody and everything else. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money. Now, you know, you, we have to have money to live, and, and we all need money, and, and, and that's not what he's saying, but he's saying you're so devoted to money that it's a, superior to everything else in your life. Boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, 
unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, rash. That sounds like the last presidential debate, doesn't it? Conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. I find that fascinating. And, and then he goes on to says this, having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. And notice, notice the, something that, that's really interesting in here, how Paul is saying, I want you to take note of this, Timmy, that in the last days terrible things are going to happen. And he goes on to describe the human condition, not the conditions the humans will endure. Isn't that fascinating that Paul equates terrible times with human condition, not the condition in which the humans will be living? Sometimes we, we look at difficult times as not being able to pay the bills or not having enough of, of a resource. But Paul says the most terrible and the more terrifying times you could ever live in is when God's people, or when people turn against God. When they are so devoted to themselves and to the things of this world that they are focused primarily on themselves alone and not on God. I'm amazed how bent out of shape some people get today. And I know that we, you know, there's a lot of people that pick on younger people. I'm not picking on younger people. I'm just saying today in general that if you talk about the Word of God, and I'm not talking, I'm not saying people on the head with a, what is that? We'll try to fix it. If it doesn't fix, we'll cast the devil out of it. Uh, but how, how upset people get when you just simply share what God likes and dislikes. Have you ever noticed that? That, that people get bent out of shape. They, they get upset when you tell them what God likes or dislikes. And they'll call you every name that, you, that they can think of because you're either... Uh, homophobic or your whatever it may be because you agree with what scripture says you're not talking about uh, you're not thumping people on the head you're just sharing the value of what God considers good or what God considers bad and people will rather focus on their own emotions and their own feelings rather than embracing the word of God isn't that an amazing time we live in such times and the question that I want to pose to you today and I want to try to answer is how do we live in such difficult times when when people have their own story and that their own values are their own reality how do you embrace how do you live when when you know that scripture is the word of God and we are to live by Scripture, and yet you have a culture that is choosing to live upon what they feel is right. 
If you would, turn to Psalm 103, verse 8, or if you don't want to turn there, I have it on the screen for you. Here's Paul, I mean, uh, King David, rather, and he's talking to the children of Israel in, in song, and he's written this psalm, and he is talking about the blessing of the Lord, what it means when we are, have a surrendered life to the Lord. And he has gone through all of these blessings of, of what happens with a, with a person that, that has given themselves to the Lord. And he says, the Lord is, gra- is compassionate and gracious. I love that, don't you? Slow to anger abounding in love. I want to go back just for a moment on on 2 Timothy. I I love there in verse 5 where it says they have a form of godliness. I love that form of godliness. It's like when you try to recreate something and and you mold it and you shape it and it looks like it. It looks like the original that godliness simply means a piety toward God, a, a godly living, a, a, a reverence for God. And he said, in, in these last days, you'll have, you'll have people that will have a form of reverence, a form of piety. But the difference is, the difference is that they deny the power of it. Isn't that amazing? That word deny doesn't mean that they deny that it exists. It means to refute, to push back. And the only time that I know that when I refuse to do something is because I want to do something else. So that to me is the most troubling thing that I can see in that whole passage of Scripture is is people that call on God and yet choose not to be obedient to what God wants them to do. Isn't that incredible? And you say, well, uh, I would never do that. Well, I think at one point or at some point in all of our lives, we have kind of been that way where we know what God wants to do, and, and, but we just don't. Have you ever been there? And yet at the same time, there's a, there's a lot of, of thought that needs to go into why would we not allow the transforming power of the gospel to change us? It's there, and it can transform your life, but it's, it's passive. It, we have to allow it. Christ died for all. And yet, until we reach out and say, Lord, I need you, and we repent and we change our attitude and our direction and our purpose, him dying means is of none effect for us. But when we come to him, then we're washed and we're cleansed. And, and it's the same thing with a godly lifestyle, with living for Him. If we allow it to change us, to wash us, to regenerate us, to move us, to transform us, 
The Bible says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't allow the the world to shape you and to mold you into its image. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Allow God to do the shaping and the transforming so we can be in the image of his son. So it's important. So here's Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful. He's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. I love that merciful, that compassionate. It's it's always in context of God to man, superior to inferior. Every time that you that particular word is used in Scripture, it's always from a superior to an inferior. The closest thing that I could see in our life would be a parent to a helpless child. Or unless the child's two, then it's a helpless parent. Or perhaps maybe uh, you've, you've lived long enough, you've, you've uh, come across a helpless little animal. You ever do that? Remember when I was about 12 years old, I found a little bird that had fallen out of its nest. And I tried to feed it and, and bring it back to health because I had compassion on it. And, and those are about, that's what Scripture is talking about with the Lord. And that graciousness, graciousness is what you need to be graceful, to be full of grace. Notice that, that compassion and grace or being gracious and compassion are attributes of the very nature of God. They're not things he does. It's what he is. God is compassionate. And because he is compassionate, because he is a superior that looks to an inferior, because he is great and we are not, he is slow to anger. And abounding in love because he knows our condition. The Lord is compassionate. It's who he is. He is gracious. It's who he is. All of us have have natural characteristics. You're male, you're female, you have uh, certain color eyes, certain color hair, and and unless you wear contacts or, or, or change the color of your hair, these are things that, that are going to remain the same. You are who you are. They are physical characteristics. And, and though, though you may uh, enhance them or whatever you may have, but God is compassionate and God is gracious in all times, in all circumstances, because it's who he is. Anytime you look at God acting or reacting, it's he's reacting out of his very nature. He doesn't work outside of his nature. We do sometimes. A, a, an unrighteous person can create a righteous act. The scripture tells us of the unrighteous judge that did right by the woman. And Jesus said, don't, don't forget to look at him he did it because it was she was driving him crazy not because he was righteous 
And he says, how much more will your heavenly Father give to you that ask? Why? Because God is righteous. God is compassion. God is gracious. In all things, at all times, God is always gracious to us. Sometimes he, he gives us what we want. Sometimes he withholds what we want because he knows what is best for us as a parent does for a small child. So God does for us. God is gracious. God is loving. God is compassionate. God is amazing. And the result of that is he is slow to anger with us and abounding in love. Scripture says that, that he's not willing for any to, to perish, but all should come to repentance. And, and he, is long, he, he is long in, in, in anger, or he wants people to turn. It was God's compassion and grace that helped Nineveh turn from their sin. It wasn't that they reached out to God, but, but God sent a messenger and said, you need to change. It's the very nature of God. God never goes against his nature. It was God's compassion and grace that led Israel out of Egypt. It was his compassion that, that saved Nineveh. And how many times have we seen his grace and mercy on display not only in Scripture, but in our own lives. It's beyond question. It's beyond doubt. God is gracious, and God is merciful. And yet, here we are in the New Testament, and we see Jesus. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's merciful. And you say, well, he just did those things. No, no. See, this is why the virgin birth is so key. Colossians 1.15 says that Christ is the image of the invisible God. His Father is creator of all things. The very nature of God and the very nature of Christ are one. As God is gracious, Christ is gracious. It's not something he displays, it's something he is. As, as God is compassionate, Christ is compassionate. I love, I love how the scripture says when Jesus would see something, it says, and he was moved with compassion. What he's saying is his very nature rose up within him. When he saw the, the widow of Nain, and he was moved with compassion and, and, and rose raised her son from the dead and when when he was there with Lazarus and and he saw everybody crying and he was moved with compassion and began to have tears as well why because he is compassionate that's who Christ is as God is compassionate, Christ is compassionate. It's who he is. It's his very character. He doesn't have to try to generate it. He doesn't have to try to build it. He doesn't try to instill it in himself. It's his very nature 
that he is compassionate, he is love, he is grace. And now we live in this generation. You and I. And you say, now how can we, we understand that that God is compassionate and gracious and it causes him to be slow to anger, to abound in love. And we understand Christ and his nature, who he is. It's not something he just possessed. It was who he is. It's his DNA. It's his makeup. It's his character to be gracious and kind and compassionate. But how do we, you and I, live in this present time? And I think one of the answers is found in Romans 8 9. It says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. The sinful nature. And you say, well, what is the sinful nature that we possess? It's that one we inherited from Adam. That one that nobody had to teach you how to lie, how to cheat, how to steal, how to, how to be disobedient. It's that very nature within us that says, I want to be number one. I want to chart my own course. I want to do my own thing. It's that sinful nature. And he says, however... You are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. Isn't that amazing? By the Spirit. He goes on to say, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And here's the amazing thing about being a Christian, a child of God. Christ had the Spirit of God without measure. We have a, an earnest of our inheritance. We have the Spirit within us. But we still have a carnal nature, a sinful nature. And if you want to know how to live in this current life, is you put aside your sinful nature and what it wants to do, and you allow the Spirit that lived in Christ to live in you. And you say, well, that's easier said than done. Oh, yes, it is. How do you allow the Spirit? Well, we must decrease and He must increase. Uh, I will tell you, if you're not reading Scripture, if you're not praying, it's not going to happen. Because it's in that conversation that you have with the Lord. And it's in reading the Scripture that you come to an understanding of who He is. And as you get into his presence, he increases and we decrease. So we are not controlled, I love that, controlled by the sinful nature, but we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. But it is something that we choose to do. That we allow the Spirit of Christ to reign in us. He is going to knock on the door, but we have to open the door and let him in. It's when we decrease and he increases, that's when we learn how to walk in this world. Romans 12.1 says that we need to offer our life in surrender, submission to him. 
as in Psalm 103, 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, and this is your spiritual act of worship. What is, what is the writer of Romans telling us? But we present our bodies. We choose not to follow the sinful nature, but we follow the Spirit of Christ. The Bible says if that Spirit which lived in Christ lives in you, it's going to make your body alive at His return. I don't care how many years you've been in the grave. When the Lord comes back, if that Spirit lives in you, you will live again. And it's when we allow our lives to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Let me say, being controlled by the Holy Spirit is not just an emotional event. It's not something you'll get on Sunday and then forget on Monday. Because you can have the Holy Spirit and not be controlled by the Holy Spirit. I have seen people that were blessed on Sunday and then they were gossiping on Monday. Being controlled by the Holy Spirit is more indicative of how we surrender our life to Him on a daily basis, that we begin to think like Christ thinks, that we can have, as Paul said, the very mind of Christ, that, that our heart beats in rhythm and cadence with His, that we love the things that He loves, that, that we hate the things that He hates, that we move toward Him and we become more godly because we're closer to Him. It's like getting closer to a fire. If you're cold, you get close to the fire, and the fire warms you. And if you want to be holier, you can't move away from holiness. You've got to move closer to holiness. Because it's not our holiness, it's His holiness. It's not our spirit, but it's His spirit. And the only way to get closer to Him is in a relationship with Him. See, it can't be it can't be a set of rules that we follow. It has to be a voice that we're obedient to. And that voice is in scripture, that voice is in prayer, that voice is in the still small hours of the night that will speak to you. And the voice of the Lord will always bring us into a relationship, a close, personal relationship with Him. And you say, well, what, is the, what will that benefit me? So, so much in every way. We talk a lot about the fruit of the Spirit in Ephesians. But the fruit of the Spirit is manifest in Christ followers. And I would say, I'll take another step, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith, all of these things that embodied Christ, that, that's His very nature. It's the, it's the product of the Spirit within us. 
That when we are obedient to the Spirit and we're walking with Christ, it's the fruit of the Spirit that will be displayed. And my friends, that's how you live in this present world. is by walking with Christ and allowing the fruit of the Spirit to be manifest and seen in all circumstances. See, you can't determine somebody else's actions, but you can determine your own. You can't determine what somebody else is going to do, but you can determine your own. And you can determine how you approach every circumstance when you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work in you. That grace of Christ will manifest in your life. The love of Christ will manifest in you. But it's a constant work of following the Spirit. I'm going to ask our, our praise team to come back. There was a true story, and I can't remember where it was. Of a, And it wasn't the notebook, the movie The Notebook. But there was a gentleman that was going by, and he would... He would go by and visit his wife in a nursing home every single day. Much like my wife does with, his, with her mom. I don't know, many of you may not know, but my, my mother-in-law is in a, in a care facility. And somebody goes by and sees her every single day. Sometimes you go in and she's asleep. And when she's asleep, you're not going to wake her up. But this gentleman went by and saw his wife every single day, and, and one, of the, uh, one of the helpers, one of the nurse's aides, said, Sir, you come by every day. He said, Why? We're taking good care of her. She doesn't even know you're here. And his response was simply this. I know I'm here. That's the difference in allowing the Spirit to guide you and lead you and getting close to the Lord is simply doing things because not out of obligation because you know it's the right thing. And when you walk in Christ, it doesn't matter what our culture says or what our culture thinks, you will always have the right answer because God is always right. Would you stand? Would you join me in prayer? Father.